has this not been just a great conference so far? So this morning, um, we get to hear from Florence again, a follow-up. It's okay? Okay. Thank you. So a follow-up to her opening session yesterday. So... Florence Mwendi is um, an exceptional follower of Jesus. She's, she grew up um, in Kenya as a little girl in a rural village where there were missionaries from the West serving in her community. Uh, she... She hears God very well, as you heard yesterday during her talk. She is married to Festus. They've had, they have two sons. And Jay is here today. One has gone to heaven. Um, Florence has, uh, more than any person I've ever met, has changed the world, Literally. Um, A lot of what you even see at this conference is the fruit of her ministry and her approach to ministry that she learned as as a missionary with Festus to Ethiopia. She's an author. She's a teacher. She leads a ministry called Life in Abundance that's based in 14 countries, 12 in East Africa, 2 in the Caribbean. She has long been a partner of Southeast Christian Church um, and has great influence on this church and how we approach missions. And the partnership that we've had with Life and Abundance for the last two decades uh, has um, been deeply felt by our church body and by the community of Louisville, Kentucky. And So you're in for a real treat today. And I hope that this is a time of interaction, of questions, of uh, you get a sense of what partnership is intended to be that God talks about. That over and over we see in Scripture how Paul loved the church in Philippi or Corinth or Thessalonica. And that kind of love and respect and honor and submission one to another, God is honoring in a big way. So hold on, enjoy, and we're going to invite the Holy Spirit to talk to us today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you um, that we get to gather again. Um, We've all come uh, to, to hear your voice, to get our next assignment, to be... Um, to be loved on, to be encouraged, to be inspired, to hear more about what you're doing around the world. And, Lord, we thank you that you've done that so well. And, Lord, we just want to pray for those, those people groups that don't yet have a church, that don't yet have a Bible, that don't yet have a believer. And we want to pray, Lord, that you would send uh, workers to those harvest fields. We thank you for the, just the rapid things that have happened just in the last few years that only you can do, that we heard about this morning. So, Lord, we, we worship you this morning. We thank you that you're with us. 
And so we ask you, Holy Spirit, to God, to speak, to facilitate our time together, that we, we may um, accomplish, that you may accomplish all the things you desire to do in us to make us more effective for your glory and for your fame. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So let me introduce Dr. Florence Mwindi. Well, good morning again. Uh, Let me just ask, how many of us were in the session yesterday where I spoke? Okay, how many of us were not? All right. Um, The the intention of this was to to have what I shared yesterday um, becoming more expanded. I don't intend to, to repeat all that I said yesterday. Uh, the floor of the, the next two hours, it's a two-hour uh, time together, is that we may be more interactive um, and also get to hear from other people uh, who are also here to share from their experiences to augment further the things that I shared yesterday. So we are going to have somebody from uh, Burundi, uh, Dr. Christian, Uh, He's going to be sharing about how they, as medical students, got together and developed a ministry um, of medical missions uh, that is now serving in Burundi. Uh, So we can just begin to hear what is is the Lord brewing in some of these countries. We will also be hearing from Pamela Bukachi. Pamela and Francis founded Hope uh, Alive, Hope Initiatives. Hope Alive, yes. Yeah, in, in Kenya, uh, it's working in Ghana, uh, Burkina Faso, a few other countries. She'll be telling us more about that. And uh, as an, an indigenous organization, an African-founded organization, uh, how we've partnered in, in some ways with them uh, to enrich their structures, their systems, uh, to broaden the bigger good that they can do Uh, in ways that will cause the kingdom to even be expanded further. Uh, Because yesterday I talked about the Global Institute and our desire to empower indigenous organizations to do more good uh, in what they are doing. And then we'll also hear from Dr. Charlie. (laughs) Yeah, I get to put you on stage again. Um, Dr. Charlie and I are writing a book uh, on, on partnerships, and I can't wait to, to share that with, with the body of Christ uh, because I do believe in such a strong way that the dispensation that we are in um, for medical missions, not just medical missions, but for missions that is effective, that is transformative, uh, that is redeeming, is, is through partnerships. I can't imagine coming to the U.S. and working here and not partnering with the U.S., because that would actually look foolish. Um, Like if I started an orphanage, and I started taking some of the American children and taking care of them in an orphanage that is being run by Kenyans, 
I think that would be insulting to the, to the Americans or to the U.S. culture. But if we were partnering with, with a church that's based here and we are working together, uh, how beautiful that would be and how much more good would be done uh, if it was done together. So in a very strong way, I do believe God is inviting us um, to partnerships that are co-equal, um, that are coming to the table in oneness and in love, and there he wants to command a blessing. And I feel there's no other person other than Dr. Charlie to share how he was in charge of partnerships. Um, he was the missions director of Southeast Christian Church uh, for the longest time, close to 20 years, maybe forever. But he's, he's worked on that for so long, um, being in partnerships that are serving Southeast connecting with uh, people in India, Southeast connecting with people um, in Greece, in Italy, in Africa, in several parts of Africa, even in the closed churches like in Djibouti, in Somalia. Like how do you get to do that as, as a North um, organization, a global North organization? And specifically, how do you get to do that as a church? Uh, a mega church, how do you identify partnerships and um, how does that look in its dispensation, in its practice day to day and what governs that? Uh, so we will have Charlie uh, share a little bit of that. I call him Charlie because to me he's Charlie, he's a brother. We've gone to so many places together. Uh, but Dr. Charlie is actually a doctor, he's a dentist. Um, an amazing a missioner in himself. He has been to so many other places uh, to implement the dental ministry and using dentistry as a tool to empower the local churches to serve the poor and the vulnerable. So he'll be sharing uh, a little bit more of that. So a quick recap um, before I invite uh, those people to come and share, uh, and it can be in any order. Um, I don't know who we'll begin with, but I think we will begin with Dr. Christian, and then we'll go on to, to Pamela, and then we'll talk about, about partnerships. Is that all right? Okay, let me pray for us as a team now as we share. Um, let's pray. Father, thank you for, for what you have in store for us. I thank you for Pamela. I thank you for Dr. Christian. I thank you for Dr. Charlie. Lord, I thank you for what you have put in them uh, in form of experience, uh, in form of you interacting with them in their spirit, that they can bring that to this audience today in sharing um, what they have learned under your leadership, that it can be entrusted to others. I pray that the words uh, that they will uh, be using to share will be ordained and anointed by you uh, to speak to our hearts and, of course, as Lord, to follow you even into deeper places. Uh, we invite your blessing over our session in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so I, I will be back and forth, but I wanted to, to share with us uh, a couple of the things that I shared yesterday before I invite Dr. Christian. Uh, I mentioned yesterday um, it's imperative that we, we partner with God, and I think we just hold on to the slides and 
Yeah, so not to worry about the slides. It's, it's imperative that we partner with God other than God partnering with us um, because he continues to invite us uh, to follow him other than him following us. Uh, that we don't make our plan and invite him to bless our plan, but rather we go to him and invite him to, dis- to, to help us design his will uh, so that we can be followers of his will. And I mentioned in the session that times and seasons belong to God, and the journey in missions is, is that sensitivity, walking in that sensitivity and brokenness that we can be able to yield our ways to him and allow him to execute his will through us so that his kingdom may come. And I know that is not always, always easy. Uh, it's easier said than done because I remember going to Ethiopia and feeling I have, I have seen what the poor and the vulnerable look like having grown among them. Uh, Again, feeling I know what needs to be done because I know communities in Africa. Um, Coming from Kenya into Ethiopia and feeling Kenya is a few steps ahead of this community, so I know where we can take them, almost like I can see what they can become. And I began working with that in mind. I think... I think doctors have this type A personality uh, that, yes, let's get it done and uh, we will we'll land it in a good place. And so I sort of started with that in mind. And I began working in this leprosy community in Ethiopia. Um, three years into that, into that work. And the Lord, the Lord arrested me in my, in my steps. Um, I actually remember the very morning I had gone out into the city that early morning uh, to buy bread. We were buying a lot of bread that day uh, because we needed to feed about 400 children who were coming to our home for vacation Bible school. Uh, We had put out a notice that we will be doing a Christmas event at our home at the missions compound. And we didn't realize so many kids in the neighborhood, uh, because we're in that neighborhood of the leprosy affected. Uh, We're going to be thinking of this as the only form of Christmas fun that they could have. So they had signed up for that, and um, we ended up on that Christmas Eve VBS uh, with 400 kids. So very early in the morning, I went into the city, and I wanted to buy as much bread as I can uh, so that we can be able to survive the vacation Bible school uh, that we had put ourselves into. And as I was coming back with, with bread in, in, in the car, almost everywhere in the car, carrying loaves of bread, um, about, about just maybe a mile from where we were, maybe less than a mile from, from our home, I came across something that was in the middle of the road, and I sort of stopped not knowing what could this be, and then realized it was actually an object that was moving. Um, and as I looked more closely, I realized it was one of the lepers uh, with a baby uh, on her back, and she was moving from one side to go to the other side. Um, 
and it was such a slow move on the on this muddy road. It was misty, it was drizzling, and that I just needed to stay put there to wait for her to, to cross. So in the meantime, I had a chance to look to see uh, where was she going and where was she coming from. And as I turned to the left, I saw she was actually going to a trash pit uh, that was on the side of the road. Um, she was going there to to look for something to eat. Um, and then as I looked more closely, I realized there were boys there going through the trash, um, young kids, um, six, seven, so early in the morning, um, going through the trash to pick something to eat. And what broke me then was because I had children the same age as those boys who were home, and also that they, they had a mother. Um, these were kids that were fully on the streets, and they were coming out that morning to look for something to eat. And I remember just feeling so ineffective that we've been here for three years working with the leprosy affected, and we were, think, we were thinking we were making a difference. And here it is, like the Lord is just showing me you've done nothing. Um, there are kids on the streets, and this is, this is what is happening. Um, and the kids, realizing I had stopped, I think they thought I had stopped for them uh, to give them something. So they all rushed to the, to the car to beg. And here I was carrying all the bread that you could get from the city, and here are kids going through, through trash. Um, and the temptation was, should I, should I just open the car and give them the bread? Um, should I invite them for this vacation Bible school? And should I just ask them to come home and begin living with us? Uh, should I begin an orphanage? Like, have we just gotten it all wrong? That, for me, was actually what led to a shift in, in my paradigm as far as ministry is concerned. Because uh, I remember going through that vacation Bible school. I remember going through uh, the whole of that Christmas period and thinking, Lord, this has to stop. Like, why are we here if kids just down the road are doing what I saw? And why did you allow me to see that? What are you telling me that I should do? And that was the beginning of a paradigm shift that enabled me to go to the local churches and say, we have to work together. It cannot be just me doing medical ministry with the lepers. It's got to be a holistic approach where children are cared for, that there are prayer teams that are walking along the streets and addressing the root issues that cause things to be, these things to happen, uh, we've got to address the whole community transformation other than just, just treating. I think the other thing that was really frustrating to me was you, you treat diseases. Um, people come with a typhoid or come with um, a particular infection and they are treated and they go back into the same community where they had been only to get it again and come back um, to you a few weeks later with the same, same infection. So it was almost feeling like you're just, you're just busy. You're just doing busy work. Um, treating people, they go back, they come back, 
for the same treatment and you think you're doing something but really you're just you're just doing circles around um, not having an impact um, so that was for us the beginning of partnerships um, realizing we need to change how we do ministry uh, we need to involve the people that we are serving and in particular we need to involve the church and empower her to be the agent that carries this transformation so that it's not us becoming famous about how many people we are seeing and how people are being referred to us, but rather the church uh, becomes the center of that work. Um, somebody just asked me before we began, how do you partner? Like, how do you equip the church with these skills that have taken so long to be acquired uh, so that they can actually be carriers of that ministry in a local situation? Um, so I'll just describe that before I invite um, Christian to share with us. Uh, what we do initially is an overview, um, generally. It's general because we work in 12 countries in Africa, uh, two countries in the Caribbean, and every community is different. So I'm just sharing a general approach uh, that would be followed and it would be contextualized depending on the on the local area that we are working in. Are we all right? Are we tracking? All right. So when we go in a community, the first thing we do is we, we begin by prayer walking. Um, if you can just imagine Isaiah 61. Uh, we begin by prayer walking, and the questions we are asking ourselves is, what, is, what are the strongholds in this community? Um, what are the key things that this community is, is struggling with? It could be a community, it could be a nation, it could be a county, um, whatever area that the Lord has invited us to do work. Uh, so that prayer walking, uh, a walking by discernment, um, listening and hearing what the Lord is saying, inviting him to speak so that he can invite us to partner with him in what he wants to see as his kingdom come. Uh, so seeking the spirit and asking, what will the kingdom of God look like um, in this particular community? And how can we partner with God that his kingdom is established? In some cases, the establishment of that kingdom could end up being beginning a clinic. Um, it could end up being working with the poor and the vulnerable by addressing the street children, or it could be by addressing the children education. It could be the social engagement that needs to be taken, the community health aspects that need to be undertaken. But the Lord showing us almost like what are the priorities and what are the key things that need to be dealt with. Equipped with that and having walked the community, connected with the the key actors, the stakeholders, the church leaders, uh, we invite them for what we call a vision seminar. And in the vision seminar, we are inviting um, the senior pastors of the churches that are in the community, some of the stakeholders, and we want to tell them, guess what? The Lord has a desire to see a change in this community. Um, we are inviting you 
to fulfill that mandate that the Lord has given you by obeying him so that his kingdom may come in this place. In most cases, the churches don't realize they have a responsibility um, to be salt and light in the places where they find them themselves. Uh, they don't realize they have a bigger responsibility than the Sunday meetings, um, getting the congregation together and worshiping. And that's what we, we put across, that really the Lord has placed you here to be salt and light, and he has a desire to see his kingdom come. And as we begin to cast that, we are inviting the church to consider, would you like to be a part of this? Is the Lord inviting you to be obedient uh, on this mission or journey? And in some cases, the people who come for the vision seminar could end up being about 20 churches or 20 um, representatives of the different institutions in the community. And not all of them feel they have a responsibility to partner. Uh, so maybe we may end up with about, about 15 of them saying, yes, we want to be part of this. And those that want to be a part of that, we, we tell them, basically, this is what we will expect from you, and this is what you can expect from us. What you can expect from us is that we will walk with you for the next three years. Um, to teach you the principles of community transformation and to come alongside you materially and also in forming structures like setting up committees and setting up trainers so that you begin a sustainable work that addresses the needs in this community and not just for the three years but that we get to model this so that when we leave after three years this can become a church-owned ministry um, spirit-guided work uh, that will be sustained by you uh, for the longer term. So from the very beginning, we want to do things at a level that can, they can continue with. Uh, so we will not begin something that is based on us or that is dependent on our skills to be ongoing. Um, and we identify uh, those areas that are going to be priorities. So we commission them to go back to their churches and choose people that we can now begin to train that can be like the owners of the mission. These are not people that are paid. These are volunteers. And that team of volunteers becomes the implementers of the mission. They become the, the hands and feet of this work uh, in the community that the Lord has given us to, to do transformational development. Uh, we take them through a training once they are identified. Uh, it's usually a 10-day uh, curriculum, uh, about eight hours a day. And through that equipping, we are teaching them how to keep records, how to identify uh, the basics of the community. We are teaching them uh, the basics, basically, of community development, um, what those look like and how to manage that. We end up serving and equipping in four main areas. Uh, that's the model of life in abundance transformation. Uh, we do the equipping in economic empowerment, and we see this almost as the, the one that will break the chains of poverty, that people are empowered economically to take care of their own development, um, to take care of their health, and to be able to pay for the basic needs, 
and that puts them on a, a path of dignity. Uh, so we do that economic empowerment. The other thing that we end up doing is child education. And in the area of early childhood development, we are helping the churches. In fact, most of the churches become the education centers where children can come to and a new foundation can be set with instruction, um, but also with, with literacy uh, for them to be on, on the right path. In, in most cases, some of these early childhood development centers become the child care centers where the people we are serving who are poor and vulnerable can bring their kids in the morning. Um, they can be in a place that is secure. Um, they can go for their daily work, either as casual workers, as construction workers, and in the evening they come for their children. Uh, so coming for that from the church. Uh, so equipping the church to be able to implement those simple basic uh, programs. So education, economic empowerment, and then we also work in all the areas of primary health care. Um, either connected to a running clinic or a running hospital, but in the areas of nutrition, uh, really all the elements of primary health care become a responsibility that we take on. And then lastly, we work with the social engagement. In social engagement, it could be engaging the social evils, the justice issues that are happening uh, so that we can we can set them free and put them on a path of development. So together with these actors, we identify the key things that we are going to be doing so that it's not just health, um, but it's all around that whole person care uh, connected to the churches. And by the end of the three years, uh, the churches have owned this and we are passing on every responsibility. We are setting up a steering committee they're working together as actors uh, in all the, communi the community areas, and uh, our work is done. Um, by the third year, we move on to a new community and uh, begin the same cycle again. So that is the model of, of partnership at the church level, and that is what the Lord has, has called us to. Now, yesterday I mentioned um, medical missions is, is changing. Um, medical missions is changing. And when I mentioned about the, the partnership with the local church um, becoming holistic, me medical missions becoming holistic, and that, what, that is what God is blessing, um, that is basically the centerpiece of holistic mission where the church is in the center, where the community is participating, and where medicine is not just curative, uh, it's preventive, it's developmental, uh, it's addressing all the facets of, of the person um, and equipping that person for the future. I also mentioned yesterday that medical missions, uh, as we move forward, will be visionary. Um, that medical doctors will not just go to the same hospitals that they've been going to, uh, but opportunities are opening for them to be involved in epidemics, in, in famine, in refugee care, in prisons, in disaster management, in all those very innovative but visionary and strategic areas. Um, that medical missionaries is becoming a prophetic voice. Um, 
It actually amazes me how a medical doctor is respected in places you don't even expect. Um, I remember us going to a country that was closed um, and has been closed for, for Christian uh, ministry for a long time. And just arriving and introducing myself as a medical doctor um, opened the way that I could be able to be allowed to go in. So in, in such big ways, um, just carrying a title of a medical practitioner does open ways and does give us opportunities that, that are unique. Um, God uses it and continues to use it to open doors. And more and more medical missionaries will continue to engage in that prophetic voice. It may not be a place um, geographically, but it may be a forum where we find ourselves seated, um, where Christian ethics are eroded, where we can speak into contemporary issues like abortion and all the other things that are a key area of concern uh, in our days. And I feel like that's the future, really, of medical missions, where we can go with innovative solutions um, in communities, in, in areas that are torn down, and bringing a kingdom authority in those areas. Um, so medical missions being integral, but also medical missions being visionary and prophetic. Um, and then I also mentioned yesterday, medical missions will be varied. Um, we will be involved in areas of medicine that are not just treating patients, but will be invited in the areas of policy, um, invited in the areas that, um, like we were saying this morning, we may be invited to be managers, to be writers, to be translators, to work alongside people who are making the Bible available in areas that have never been um, given the word of God. So it will be varied. We'll find ourselves in, in various settings. We'll be invited in, in tertiary hospitals, very specialized hospitals, but also we'll find ourselves in places where there's no hospital and we are doing home visits. Uh, we'll be involved in urban care ministries and uh, finding ourselves in slums or situations that are not as welcoming as we could have been used to. So with all these changes and as we step into these, um, I was mentioning yesterday, really the, the strategies that we have to go with are partnerships and we have to go with an opportunity that brings those partnerships. So Dr. Christian is going to share with us um, briefly on what, what was that like for medical students uh, waking up to that need and beginning an innovative work uh, in, in Burundi. Um, yes. Are you going to need slides? Okay, so uh, just connect on that. Um, and as he connects, maybe we can have a question or two. Uh, please feel free to take it. Yes, please.
Yes. Um, the question is, and I'm just repeating it because of the virtual, um, yes. The question is, do we have a curriculum uh, for the training of the trainers, uh, the training of the trainers and equipping the churches? Yes, we do. Um, because we've been doing this for, for a while, uh, since that time when I saw those children, it's about uh, 28 years now, uh, so we've been doing it and repeating it in, in so many different countries. Uh, so with that, uh, we have developed a curriculum. In fact, we have online uh, diploma courses, certificate courses, on equipping the communities. And uh, those are on our website. Um, if you go to our website and you look at the LIA Global Institute, uh, we are affiliated with a university in Kenya, the Africa International University, uh, that credits those, those courses now, uh, so we, we can train uh, different groups. In fact, the main reason why we started the Global Institute was we realized those curriculums and those packages are being needed by, by people beyond the countries where we work. Uh, so like... We don't have work in Liberia, uh, but we can train people in Liberia uh, with those packages so that they can do the work there. And so that's available, and we have two training centers. We have a training center in Nairobi, and we also have a training center in Jamaica. Uh, so teams can come together to those training centers to go through uh, the 10-day training um, and be equipped to go uh, but better still for leaders, they can take either a diploma or a certificate in community transformation approaches and be able to engage that on their, on their own. So that's, that's available, uh, LIA Global Institute. You can also visit our, our booth and get more information on how you can access that. Thank you. Okay, Christian. Good morning. Um, it's my pleasure to be here and uh, to be introduced by, uh, I call her mama. Yeah. Um, yes, uh, what I'm going to talk about right now is just uh, like a testimony of what he has just, she has just said. Uh, I'm going to share my story. A story that started um, 13 years ago when I joined medical school. Um, well, I'm also be going to just touch some of the things she has uh, shared, um, just asking, uh, reflecting on what is our current mission assignment and us as the Global South. Um, maybe you will ask yourself those of the Global North, the same question on your side, and also on um, an individual um, place, and ask ourselves, so what? After that, after we have all played our role, what's next? Um, I joined medical school in 2009. Uh, I was already a born-again Christian, and um, that picture there, on the left uh, is me and some of my friends. Uh, we found ourselves in a place where we were asking ourselves, okay, we're in medicine, 
and uh, we were going to a, a Christian university. Some of our professors were missionaries, but uh, I think the youngest was 60. So we were like, okay, we'll go make money. And when we get old, so we go to missions. But then we were challenged. Uh, in that, on that picture, there are some uh, white faces, and some of them are here. They were our professors. Um, uh, they are being supported by Serge. If there are people from Serge, God bless you. <laughs> Um, we were challenged. Uh, they were in their 30s coming to Burundi with some children, some having just babies. Uh, we're like, oh, so does this happen also in missions? So, yeah, we, they were struggling with the language, with the culture, with everything. So we said, okay, how can we sit and watch? Um, so, as she was saying, our role was just just at first say yes and what I'm uh, about to tell you is that whatever uh, question or just what you're going to be thinking about just know God has gone ahead of you whatever uh, you will decide to do about that I will share some uh, stories next of how God has been faithful and one of the things uh, was for me meeting Dr. Florence um, I'm also working with um, Life in Abundance, so I get to um, uh, know her just after I had said yes, God used me, because I've uh, realized that medicine was a big, big tool um, to, uh, to use to, to bring people to Christ and to show them His love. So, yeah, so... Saying yes comes with the responsibility. Uh, I don't know those who have been to Burundi. We don't have, um, uh, maybe in other areas, but in medicine, no medical missionaries, locals. We don't have. So one of the responsibilities we have taken is just becoming the models. I've just graduated six years ago. But then when we go for missions, we say, okay, uh, we've been inspired. We've been, um, uh, we learned from others. So maybe there are others who can uh, learn from us. So among the things we do, we do medical missions, uh, uh, medical camps. We go in an area that, uh, where people have no or little access to medical care. And then we take students in their uh, first years or even about to finish medical school. We go with them. And guess what? I told you God has gone ahead of us. Uh, we are mentoring them. And some of them, after leaving the, the mission, they went and started um, uh, organizations, ministries. The, the one just I put there uh, is uh, um, an organization, a ministry that was started uh, by students yeah, in the fourth year of medical school right now. And what they are doing, we have, uh, we have a problem. Uh, of blood scarcity in the countries, in hospitals. So they are mobilizing churches to donate blood, medical students. Um, and, uh, yeah, oh, it's not visible. The gentleman there with the red tie is me. It's unfortunate because I was looking nice. 
but you can't see me. These are students. I was invited in a, a, a leadership conference. I was one of the main speakers. <laughs> and from what? Just because um, we didn't have model, models, um, they are the first ones they are seeing. So, yeah, and with God's grace, we are taking that mantle with grace. Uh, we're taking also the responsibility to remind the church its um, um, mission. As she said, Dr. Florence, we, we partner with the local churches. Uh, we train them, uh, we equip them uh, to reach out to the whole man. Um, here I was, uh, it was uh, during one of the uh, vision seminars. In, we do that and then we do the medical camp. And then also we educate them on uh, community health. Um, we take also responsibility for whatever it takes to do missions where there's no support. Uh, we have to work uh, so that we can find the work we are doing. Um, yeah, this is, uh, some roads are not at all practicable. She said also that um, in the next, yesterday she was saying that in the next 20 years, medical missions will be varied. Um, uh, vital and uh, visionary we get to be the pastors we get to be for the patients uh, uh, we are invited in places where uh, discussed issues like uh, abortion um, comprehensive sexuality education I don't know how it happened but recently I found myself discussing with uh, the East African MPs on uh, comprehensive, about uh, including comprehensive sexuality education um, in schools. Yeah, yeah, that also is uh, one of the things uh, we are being invited in. And uh, with all that, um, you know, I, as I was starting, I said that the joys and the pains of the mantle, that mantle, just before I traveled to the U.S. for this conference, uh, we were finishing um, a medical camp. We finished on Saturday, um, and uh, I had to travel on Sunday. So the whole week I was busy, and uh, um, I didn't have the time to do all the things I had to do. Offices were closed and all that, and um, I had worked the whole week standing because I did some training in uh, dental, basic dental care. So I was uh, treating patients. Uh, so tired and asking myself how am I going to travel. I haven't done anything. Uh, so I was just encouraged by the words of this song. Um, yes, His Sovereign Hand will be our guide uh, whenever we face challenges and all the difficulties. I know it will not be easy but he's gone ahead of us. Uh, what are the joys? Uh, when we, we, we uh, said yes, we, me and my friends, there's Chris there in the back, uh, our long-term vision is to start the very first mission hospital started by locals. Um, and guess what? We just said yes, and we prayed. This is uh, two of my friends uh, from the picture I started with. There's Elvis, he's doing obstetrics and gynecology, and uh, his wife, Marlene, uh, she's doing general surgery, and soon she's going uh, for a fellowship uh, for a 
subspecialty in pediatric surgery. Yeah. Um, Belize uh, had just completed uh, her residence in family medicine. Um, yes. There she was, uh, she had gone for a, a, a mission in the Maasai community. Uh, here, she, again, she was uh, teaching, uh, doing. Yes, um, Dr. Florence said, it's at the end, uh, and I was asking this question, so what? In the end, it will be such a, a, a nice story to tell, a beautiful story to tell, and it will not be a one-man story. Um, if we each uh, play his role, her role, it will be beautiful. This is a patient I just uh, uh, treated for, uh, she had uh, very bad uh, teeth, and then she had spent uh, weeks and weeks uh, without sleeping. And then um, I just took this picture to share uh, to share it with some of my friends from ITEC because they are the ones who, who trained me to do uh, uh, dental care partnerships. They came, trained me, and left, and the work is ongoing. Um, this mom, this mother, uh, after I, I treated her, she came and told me, is it really out? I said, yes. Really? And I, sh I got to show her. She was very happy. And she told me, so I'll be able to sleep tonight. I said, yes. Um, it's beautiful. This is um, the picture of uh, my uh, friends and uh, elders and the other picture on the, on the right. Uh, the other people who were my professors at university, the one that inspired me. And I think Alisa is somewhere, maybe at the booth, uh, search booth. Yes, that's the story that we'll be telling, maybe here, maybe in heaven, that um, uh, God is good. He has opened all those doors. And there is, I said, surge, I said, uh, I take this to transform many, that those who have really come along and uh, uh, just uh, equipped us. And we are living these stories, and we maybe we'll have a larger conference in heaven to tell all those and will be happy and I give glory to God. May the Lord bless you. Thank you, Christian. Uh, any questions for him? Thank you very much. This, this, yes, kindly. Just say it, then I'll repeat it. Did you hear it? Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, we we will be. Glad. Oh, um, you're asking if uh, we take uh, short-term missionaries? Yeah. Yes, um, we've been doing uh, missions, these medical camps, with, uh, um, with people from other countries, the U.S., and you will be welcome to come. We just recently opened um, 
Health Center uh, where we are treating uh, uh, the people from uh, the, the people we call the urban poor, um, just uh, treating them because they are in the cities, like they, but they have uh, no means just to access healthcare. So, yes, maybe we can just uh, come for the medical camps or just the clinic. Yeah, we're open. Yes, you can go to the booth. Yes, please. More questions? Thank you. God bless you. Yeah, thank you very much. Um, the, the Burundi medical students and also the, the doctors, uh, they come for the the African version of Global Missions Health Conference. Uh, we hold that conference in Nairobi uh, on an annual basis. It invites people from all over Africa to connect in Nairobi uh, for those partnerships. So Dr. Christian and other members uh, come to, we call it GMC, Global Missions Conference in Nairobi. It's always every September. And we've been doing it for the last 10 years. Um, and we are in for the for the next Global Missions Conference. It's going to be held September 7th, 8th, and 9th uh, of next year, and it's, it's ongoing. Um, wonderful. All right. Let me now invite uh, Pamela. Uh, Pamela and her organization were one of our first um, organizations to identify, uh, to equip in in what we are calling ORCAT, uh, Organizational Development of indige Indigenous Organizations. And I will just let her tell that story of what does it mean to be empowered, uh, what does it look like. Pamela. Good afternoon. Maybe you could stand and stretch. Just stand up. Yeah, I think, <laughs> yeah, just stretch. That's better. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. We've been sitting for quite some time. So my name is Pamela Bukachi. Uh, Francis and Pamela left their hometown. This journey begins back in... 1992, the call of Abraham. Leave your family, leave your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I was a medical student, a nurse, training as a registered nurse in a prestigious private hospital in Kenya. And as soon as I went to the mission field in the northern part of our country, I knew life has to change. Little did I know that at the same time, in a university, a prestigious university, medicine university in Kenya, God was calling a young man to. But for him, the challenge was greater. He was to leave his medical career. Not to finish, but to leave it as a first-year student. That was a hard cost. He was coming from the village. He was the star of the village. We are going to raise up a medical doctor. 
and the Lord was pulling it off his feet. So Francis and I arrived in a ministry called Shifold Ministry in the northern part of Kenya that were working among the unreached people groups. And we had to learn how to live among the unreached. And their theme was, I have other sheep, I must bring them in. John chapter 10 verse 16. We had to make a choice to join the Lord to bring in this other sheep. So we stayed there, we were trained in cross-cultural missions among our own people in our own country. And it felt good, but we didn't see any fruit. And so we left the mission field, burnout, disappointed. Was it worth it? Was it worth leaving your medical career, your nursing, to go to a place you've not seen fruits? Little did we know that God was still preparing us for greater work. So in this dismay and despair, we get to know life in abundance. And Dr. Florence joins us in and says, come, want to work with you. And again, there's also in the book of John, I, have, I came that they may have life and have it in abundance. And we realize this abundant life is not only for the unreached, it's also for the Christians. We need to have the abundant life to be able to continue what God calls us. So as we are in life in abundance and we feel like now we've settled, again the call, leave your country. And now it's literal country. We live for Ghana as a family. No sending church, no sending organization. No receiving church, no receiving organization. What do you do in a foreign land? And then the Lord tells us, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go. We all know English. The word go is go. It's not sit. And so we knew we had only one purpose, to survive and to finish what the Lord had called us. So Hope Alive Initiatives was actually first registered in Ghana, outside Kenya. So um, God was good because we learned immediately we arrived in Ghana. He told us, I'm going to show you a different way of doing ministry. When you worked among the unreached people group in the northern area, you went yourselves as indigenous missionaries. Now, I want to train you to train the local people. Because my complaint to God was, I have learned this other language. I'm not ready to learn another language. I was disappointed. And so he was telling us, use what they have. What do they have? They have the language. They have the churches. And so we started training local churches within northern part of Ghana. Little did we know that soon again travel would be difficult. We stayed there for three years and we decided maybe it's time to go home and have our children in school. And while we were there, Ebola happened. We could not travel back to northern Ghana again. But the Lord encouraged us. You have a team you have trained. They can continue doing the work you are doing. That was such a sense of relief as we communicated to them via email and calls. Work was going on 
and what we decided to do, be able to reach the neighboring countries, they were able to continue doing it. And so we came back, and now we have an organization that we have registered, but we don't know how to run an organization. We don't know how to lead an organization. There are some things that maybe work for you when you are two people, but now when the organization grows, what happens? And so I want to show you what was happening at that time, and I'll invite Sarah. Uh, while in Ghana, we met uh, Sarah. She was on a different mission trip, not with Hope Alive. And God brought her our way. And so this is the basket. And uh, I want to ask for about uh, seven volunteers, please. An opportunity to stretch your leg. Just volunteer and come. There's no, there, are no, there are no hard questions. I'll not be requiring you to do hard stuff. Just come and just help us uh, display this. Thank you. Thank you. Just give them anyhow. And just hold out the piece of paper that you have. Okay. We need to. Okay, you hold So um, we have volunteers. Okay. And so we are back. We are back to Kenya. Our children have joined our university. And Hope Alive is registered in Ghana. It's not registered in Kenya. So we are still trying to... Uh, we have partners wanting to work with us. We have work. We have a passion to continue fulfilling. The Lord wants us to bear fruit. We are bearing fruit, but we feel like uh, we, are, we, are, we are extended. We are stretched. And we fear again having burnout because you can only do so much. And so again, um, life in abundance comes in and they invite us for this training. And I want to show you something. Can we all read this? Kit. When you think of kit, what does it, what comes to mind? A tool. We have pregnancy kit, malaria testing kit, COVID testing kit, isn't it? So when you see this word, it's, it gives you a result. It's something, it's either give you a negative result or a positive result. Then I have another one here for you. We can see it. Tool. Tool. So through OCAT, which is an organization, uh, a brand, an organization in life in abundance, we were, we had, they gave us a kit, and we were to check our strengths. What is your strength? What can you remove from your hands? If Francis is doing, uh, I'll give an example. Francis would be doing program, and is in charge of vision, and is also in charge of resource mobilization, one man. How can he do that? And so going through this program, OCAT, Organization Capacity Assessment Tool, we are able to assess ourselves and check, where are we? What are our strengths? What are our weaknesses? 
What do we need to do as an immediate? And what is it that can wait? And so this is a program that we were able to join in from last year. And we went in and they allowed us. We were able to see as Hope Alive, uh, Francis and I and Sarah and other teams, uh, team members from Ghana, we were able to see, oh, here, we score very well. And let me tell you, our strength as Hope Alive is our spiritual health. And so when we scored on this, then we knew this will be our focus. And so uh, through uh, OCAT, we were able to disorganize ourselves to reorganize ourselves. And I'll now request Sarah. You can see now she'll help us see how we were able to organize ourselves. So now uh, Sarah has spiritual health. Next. We have Mission Health, so you move next to Sarah. Vision, Vision and Vision, yes. Program, yes. Governance, good. Finance, management, and resource. So through OCAT, and the Global Institute, we were able to organize ourselves. And it's, uh, I'm so glad Life in Abundance was able to help us do this. Because through this, even as we sat ourselves, we could say, here our, we rate low. You know, when you score yourself, then there are no ill feelings. Yeah, but if somebody scores, you'll think, what were they thinking? Is that how they see me? But when you do self-rating, and you're able even, and that's why you find, like, I, I carry the kit. Many times, we medical people, I think I'm talking to medical people, it's easier for somebody to self-test secretly before they are able to go forward and have a test, like HIV AIDS. You'd find most people would buy the kit and have private self-test before they go outside there to have it publicly tested. And so through OCAT we are able to, and we are still going on, we are able to organize our organization. And uh, I think it helped free Francis and I to be able to bring in other people who could do what we are doing. It's not that we are the only ones, but they could do it even better. And since OCAT, I think we've had, we are 20, we are going to 20 or more because we realized there are some areas, some gaps that needed to be filled. And so um, I'm so grateful to Life in Abundance and even for the tool. We all need tools. I'm sure those who drive, I don't drive, you have a toolbox. And so we need tools to be able to check, to keep us on check, to see how we are performing and also the gaps that need to be filled up. God bless you. Thank you, my wonderful volunteers. And so the journey of partnership, we continue to partner. What you have, I may not have. And what I have, you may not have. 
have had to travel so many times in the last quarter. And at the border they ask you, where are you going? The address, the phone number of your contact person. No, it's no longer life as usual. You just not wake up and say, I'm going to Kenya. You need a partner on the ground. You need a Kenyan on the ground. You need an organization to be able to facilitate your staying. I went to Nigeria. I had to write where I'll be staying, with whom, the telephone number. We went to Malawi as a team, and at one point, one of our team members was asked, what's the phone number of your host? And so I want to emphasize that partnership is the way to go. God bless you. actually really get excited when um, we see these things happen, uh, when people are able to wake up <laughs> and go to other African countries like uh, Pamela and Francis and continue to make such an exciting impact out there. Um, so the Lord, the Lord bless you. Uh, we've been saying in the conference that we, we run in Nairobi, it's, it's time for Africa. And it's not time for Africa to celebrate that we have a growing church, but it's time really for us to take responsibility. For so long, um, we watched missionaries come and serve our people. Uh, we watched missionaries come and serve us. And we feel it's time for Africans to arise and take responsibility and not to, to push away the missionaries that are coming, but for us to take alongside um, responsibilities with them so that together we can do more. Um, I liked what you said about identifying what is already uh, on the ground, that there is the language, uh, that there is the culture that is carried by the churches, by the indigenous organizations, and through those partnerships we get to, to do much more than if it was starting from scratch. And it's, it just takes a lot for those partnerships to, to come together. Yesterday we said partnerships are sacred, not contractual. Um, it takes the Lord leading us. It's almost like marriage. Uh, it takes the Lord leading us to the right person to work with, uh, one that we can agree with, um, one that we can believe God together with and be able to stay connected for, for the long term. Uh, so it is. It is something that is precious once it's found uh, to be stewarded, uh, to be respected and uh, honored, uh, honoring one another in that, in that love. Thank you, Pamela for, Pamela, for sharing that. Any questions for her? All right, so we will invite Dr. Charlie uh, to share how does really Global North partner with the Global South and what has been his experience in executing those partnerships. Do you have a question? For Life and Abundance of her Pamela with Hope Alive? Okay. Okay. All right. So the question is, 
how do, does Hope Alive get financial support? And is the staff paid or are the staff volunteered? How does that work? There's another mic somewhere? Okay. So is this one working? Can that, does that help? No? Okay. Okay, does that help? Okay, there you go. I always have trouble with microphones. Go ahead, Pamela. Go ahead. Yes. All right. So your question was how we get funded? All right, good question. Um, we pray, one, one of our strengths in Hope Alive is prayer. Hope Alive is a faith-based organization. Remember I told you we, lived, we reached Ghana. There was no sending church. There was no sending organization. There was no, send, there was no receiving church. And there was no receiving organization. And 12 years we are here. <laughs> and there was no money. So one thing we do is we pray. We use prayer as our first main resource mobilization. Why? Because heaven knows who will receive you when you arrive there. And so when we arrived in Ghana, we had no money. We only had a return ticket. And uh, we prayed. And this, this, even our family knows, we always say we pray for our needs. There is nothing beyond prayer. And so many times we'll pray, and sometimes uh, as we pray, I'm very strategic on whom I talk to. By the time I meet you, I know God had a plan for us to meet. So we pray, and then we ask, as God brings people to us, somebody will ask, how can I help? How can I be part of this? When you ask, then we'll tell you how you can be part of this. The other aspect of our students, of our ministry, we have volunteers. I know we call them um, residency, a program we call uh, where internship where the students come and serve for a certain period. And one great challenge I know back home is accommodation. If you are able to get accommodation for somebody and food and accommodation, then the rest is easy. So many times we tell them we'll give them accommodation, we'll provide for meals, and then they come and learn ministry. The idea is for them to learn to serve. The idea is for us to be able to prop up the giftings and the callings that they have, so that from hope alive, they are able to register their ministries or be absorbed in the marketplace. So you just got a picture of the future of missions right there on the spot. So it might be a little hard to follow, but you have Florence Mwindi, who has Life in Abundance, that's been around over 25 years. Out of Life in Abundance came Hope Alive. Hope Alive was, was launched to go from East Africa to West Africa. So just now, Kenyans... And the last few years are really start to embrace as going as missionaries. 
That's why the Global Missions Conference in Nairobi is so significant. So this is the future of missions, is that Africans know what they need better than Americans know what they need, or Westerners know what they need, or Global North knows what they need. Now, we can bring ideas to them, but it's on them to make the decisions about what to do with those ideas. They're the quarterback of this team, and they call the shots. And that's a significant, and so no longer is paternalism effective. And Florence talks a lot about what is the Lord blessing. This is what the Lord is blessing, is when we allow the African leadership to, to do what God's called them to do. They are prayer warriors off the chart. Every one of these ministries that you saw, first number one uh, attribute is they're, 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 uh, they're absorbed with prayer. And so they hear the Lord really well. So we come alongside, and it's a blessing to us. So I'm trying to think, what kind of questions would you guys have about how does the northern, the northern, the uh, global north find global south partners? And how do you work with them effectively? And, and so that, that's what we've been doing at this church for the last 20 years. And we've had lots of partners over the years. And we have a process that we work through to establish those partnerships. And, and so um, Florence said yesterday, she said a lot of profound things. But we want, to, we want our environment to adjust to us. But as, a, as Americans, we have to adjust, adjust to the current state of things. And, and so now we have a situation where we go together. No longer are we kind of because we have the finances and the things are we dictating what should be done in any certain uh, community around the world. So that's that's kind of where we are. So as a church, when we think about partnership, we think about, okay, doctrinal alignment. That's that's important. Um, We think about financial accountability. We talk about leadership. But another important distinctive for us is, is this ministry engaged with the local church? Because we think that is where the manifest presence of God is, and that's the assignment of that local church to impact that community in a significant way. Um, We also look for fruitfulness, and we also look to make investments where the church has not made investments. So in the church, we tend to go back to the same places, to easy places, and we can look at Haiti in our own backyard is an example of how many resources we poured into that nation. We used to have a map, I haven't seen it this year, a global a map of the world, and participants here would put a dot. Remember that map? Yeah, you put a dot, a dot of where you're working. Well, Haiti was completely covered up. Kenya is completely covered up. Well, actually, we don't need to be working so much in Kenya and Haiti as much. We need, we need a different approach, a new strategy. So I think that's what... Uh, the Lord is, is blessing. And this is, so you got to see it firsthand. And I can't wait to talk about, Christian, you learned how to be a dentist? Is that right? You did the training. Okay, so you're not a dentist. You're a physician, but learned some dental skills. Okay, yeah. So which one's harder? Which which one is harder to do, being a doctor or a general medicine doctor? Okay, okay. Uh, <laughs> Ouch. So, uh, 
Yeah, I thought I was going to get a different answer, so he said medicine's easier, so what are you going to do? But uh, I'm going to tell you a quick story. Uh, the West, even our senior pastor here, doesn't really understand totally what's going on in missions. Bless his heart. And uh, so I say it was Dave Stone at the time. I said, Dave, won't you come on a mission trip with us? Nah, okay, I don't know. Where are we going? Kenya, oh, that's a long way. Oh, man, I said, um, oh, Dave, look, you can bring your family. Oh, I can bring my family. Yeah. And we'll even throw in a safari. Okay, that was it. That's all it took. So Dave goes. So Dave goes to Kabira, which is, my understanding, is one of the largest slums in all of Africa. And he's standing, gets off the bus, he looks, and he sees Kabira, the, the ten huts, the the mud, the sewage, the poverty, the everything. And his heart is touched. And he says, he's like, Charlie, we got to help. we got to help these people. And sure enough, there are people right there willing to receive help. And their hand was out ready to receive it. I said, Dave, just put that up. And um, let's just wait. Let's just see what. So he takes a tour of Kabira. And then we go to another town in Kasumu in Western. And as God would have it, he meets a widow who has... Uh, three children. She's HIV positive. Her two older children are HIV positive. Her husband has died of HIV. And so he puts a microphone in front of her and he says, tell me your story. Yes. Well, uh, I'm going to this church and this organization, uh, Life in Abundance or something, I don't really remember the name of it. They taught me a skill. They taught me how to um, make french fries. They gave me a small loan. Kasumu's uh, on Lake Victoria. The fishermen come off, uh, you know, in mid-morning starving, and she's there serving them french fries that she's making right there on the street. Well, she's making enough money now to pay her school fees for her three children, to pay her rent, to uh, sustain herself. Now, what would the West do in that situation? She's HIV positive. We would sponsor her, right? So we'd be sending money, and here's your sponsorship for your kids. But the Kenyan church said, no, we don't want to do that. And, and um, that lady sustained herself. Her dignity is, is, uh, is strong. She's able to pour into other ladies. This is the African idea. But we haven't learned this yet completely in the West, as testimony to my pastor, Dave Stone, thinking, so... For him, that was a life-changing moment. And that was the story he shared when he came back with the church. So, here's the deal. Uh, part of what Life and Abundance and Hope Alive teach is there's, there's three th- the three C's. The Great Commandment. What is that? Great Commandment. Love the Lord your God. Great Commission, we know. Go and make disciples. The third C is the Great Concern. Who knows the Great Concern? Okay. Some of you do. I'm sure you're just not saying it. But most of you don't in the West. The great concern is Matthew 25. Matthew 25 says, hey, um, I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was naked and you clothed me. I was uh, in prison and you visited me. And it's interesting, if you read Matthew 25, he talks a lot about heaven and hell and eternal fire based on how you respond to Matthew 25. So, 
when we couple all three of these together, that's the power and that's the purpose of the church. So I can talk about our own community. In our own community in Louisville, Kentucky, 45% of single moms live in poverty. That's a pretty staggering statistic, don't you think? 600 churches and 45% of the single moms live in poverty. How on earth can that be? How can that be possible? 20% of children in our community uh, have food shortages. And we have the church right here. 600 of us. 600 churches in this county. When I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. When I was divorced, you picked me up. I think that list, list that Jesus gives in Matthew 25 is just an, a very abbreviated list. Whatever the need, the felt need in a community is, the church is there to address that felt need. So um, if the felt need is, is dental health or medical health, the church's response is to address that issue in that community. The church is to be relevant to its community. The church is to be the change agent, the leader of change in the community. So that's why with both of these organizations and Southeast, we, we make the local church the focus. But see, we didn't know this 15 years ago before we started partnering with organizations like Life in Abundance and Hope Alive. And, and so, see, you see the discipleship that's taking place for us? We didn't know how to love the whole person. How does the West think? We think very compartmentally, Right? Even the great concern, sometimes, yeah, it says that we're to do that, but we're not. To, we we got to connect it to the great commission and the great commandment. And if you do don't do all three simultaneously, you're not really fulfilling what God has called us to do as a as a body of Christ. So, if we just did the great commandment, we'd all be monks, right? If we just did the great commission, making disciples, we'd kind of make programs of projects out of people. And if we just did the great concern, this would be a social justice ministry. And God is all about social justice, but in combination with the great commission and the great commandment. So that is what we've learned. Now, here's another thing that happened. In our city, we have the east and the west. The west side of our city is the poorest by far, uh, mostly African-American um, Highest crime rate, all the statistics, the demographics are worse than the west, on the west side of our city. So, but the east, the church on the suburban area is not talking to the church in West Louisville. And what on earth? So, what this partnership has done, actually Life in Abundance sent a staff member to, to work with the mission staff here to, to build relationships with the church in the west, in West Louisville. And we have phenomenal relationships with churches based on these principles that we learned from our friends from Africa. <laughs> so um, these these are uh, this is this is missions. It's everywhere to everywhere now, and um, it's the body of Christ, right? So the eye needs the ear to hear, and the ear needs the eye to see, and we could go on and on and on about that. But until we come together. Um, and unity, which is the very thing that Jesus prays for us, right? That we, we may experience the oneness that he had with the Father uh, as his, his, his children, as a body of Christ. 
You know what? The simplest evangelistic tool we have is um, John 13. Now, slip on my mind. That's what it is. Florence said it yesterday. The world will know you're my disciples by the way you love one another. All the body of Christ has to do is love one another. So, um, that's how, this is what partnership looks like. Um, remember uh, in Ruth, uh, she says to Naomi, no, um, I'm going to go where you go. I, I, I'm, I'm going to follow you. And that relationship between Ruth and Naomi is like the relationship this church has with hope alive and life in abundance. This is not a casual relationship. This is a, not a transactional partnership. This is a where you go, I'll go type of relationship. This is strong. So, I don't know how much time I have, but go ahead. Okay. Earthquake. Okay. 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 <laughs> That's a funny one. Thank you, Dave. So, uh, earthquake hits Haiti in 2010. Horrific. Horrific. 160,000 people killed. And ma- the maiming was worse. Horrible thing. And so... Our response is people from our church started going to Haiti. They just bought tickets and went with no plan. They're just going to go help. That's the American spirit. That's how we are. And it's a beautiful thing that God gave us. And they rushed down there, and it's chaos everywhere. So our church overnight raises a couple hundred thousand dollars. Now we need to invest it. Well, we don't have any partners in Haiti. So, um, oh, my goodness. Does anybody work in Haiti here? Yeah. So it's dependency on steroids? Yeah. Would you agree? So, uh, so they're saying, Charlie, yeah, what are we going to do? I was like, uh, that's relief. There's organizations that are really good at that. Let them go do relief because that nation needs relief. Um, so we helped out a little bit. But there's the pressures building, you know. People are going down there. What are we doing in Haiti? So I'm not going to go to Haiti by myself. That's the last thing I'm going to do and try to evaluate with all my blind spots and see things uh, in a way that to try to figure out what to do in this nation that has already had dependency now. It's incredibly worse than ever. So... My first response is, I'm going to call my friend Florence and see if she'll go with me and let's see it together. Let's see what God is doing and, what if, and see if God has anything for us. I go down there with no agenda. We have no plans to do anything. Uh, we're just going to pray and we're going to seek God. We're going to meet a few people. We're going to see what's up with the local church. And that's it. So... We go down, and there's still people two years later living in UN, UN tents and uh, rubbish everywhere. But there's tons of short-term teams coming down and flooding the area, doing all kinds of stuff, doing medical care. So much so now the Haitian physicians leave because there's, they can't compete with free medical care. Grocers struggle because they can't compete with free food. 
and it just gets worse. So, um, so we go and we pray. And uh, Florence notices the charcoal over there around somebody's tent. Like, man, that, that's the way we do charcoal exactly in my tribe in Kenya. And she looks at this bean tree, pea tree. That, I've never seen that tree anywhere else on the planet except in my, in my hometown, in my tribe. And she's starting to look around. And we walk out near the water one day. And uh, there's a, a few of us there. And Florence says, let's go. Well, we just got here, and this is the first time we really looked at the ocean. Let's go. Well, totally unknown, but to me, there is a voodoo worship center right there that I didn't even know what it was, but Florence recognized it. She said later her tribe was known for, for voodoo. Uh, and so now she's, she's starting to draw like some connections like, oh, wait a second. You know, it could have been our my tribe, that caused these people to come here as slaves in Haiti. And she starts to get this connection. But see, this only comes through prayer and not coming with an agenda. And as it turned out, rather than send Americans to Haiti, we sent Kenyans to Haiti. And Kenyans make some of the best missionaries on the planet. So they go and they start to meet with the Haitian church. And so the Haitian church says, look, look, we can't do any of this. We're too poor. We don't have anything. Now, Americans would say, oh, yeah, you're, you're right. You're really poor. You're right. I don't know really what to do about that. I could give you stuff, but we're going to end up in the same boat. And the Kenya's missionaries say, you call this poverty? I can show you people that have, don't, don't have clothes to put on their back. That's poverty. Now, church, let's go. Let's go. Let's stop receiving relief. Let's develop this nation. Let's develop these communities. Americans can't say that. But, but Kenyans can say it. So that is where we are in the state of missions today, is we have to go together. And I think he created the body of Christ with different strengths and weaknesses and blind spots because if we... To keep us, to keep us in humility, and um, and have the ability to submit one to another, like outdo each other in submission. That's the spirit of partnership, and partnership is a lousy word. I think it's really uh, Tony Evans wrote a book, Embrace Oneness. That's what we're really talking about: is oneness and partnership. It's not transactional; it's deeply relational. So one, one last story about, uh, so you guys know I was a dentist. So I'm in um, Jamaica, and I've done lots of short-term mission trips. And what's the last thing you see on a, on a short-term mission trip if it's a medical trip? What's the last thing you see before you go home? Shopping? Yeah, okay, that's good. <laughs> no, that, that's good. Or the beach or the sunset. No, you're, on the, you're about to pack all your stuff up, and what's still there? Huh? What's that? Your worst case, that's true. Yeah, you're going to stay a little longer because it's the worst case. There's still hundreds of people and waiting. So I'm in Jamaica, and I've been there several years. And the Jamaicans 
I got a reputation. They said, oh, Charlie, Dr. Charlie pulls teeth like a baby. I'm like, oh, that's nice. Thanks, thanks. Pull teeth like a baby. Okay, that's nice, I guess. So, um, but it was great. I loved it. And we were helping people, and they're, they're in pain, severe pain. My wife's grandmother had ten babies and multiple toothaches. She said, I'd rather have a baby any day than to have a toothache. That's the level of pain we're talking about. And it does not stop. Mothers would come up to me, please, please, for two years I've listened to my 15-year-old son cry himself to sleep every night. You've got to help him, please. They're desperate. So it's the last day. We're working. We've got to catch a plane in about an hour. We've got to pack up in about an hour to go catch a plane. And I'm working, and we're trying. There's four of us there, and there's still 85 people in line. So I get a tap on my shoulder. I turn around, and it's my friend Paul Reese. Now, Paul's role that whole week was to talk to all the, because he's a talker, to talk to all the people that have come to be treated and to pray with them and to witness to them. And it's a, it's a great draw. So he taps me on the shoulder, and I would turn around and said, Hey, Charlie, there's still 85 people back there. What am I supposed to tell them? Like, I don't know what you're going to tell them. I have no clue. Tell them whatever you want to tell them, Paul. But we got to leave in an hour. Totally hard-hearted on my part, by the way. So I'm working away. Go back to it. Fifteen minutes later, I get another tap. I'm getting a little irritated. I turn around, and there's Paul again. And this time he's crying like a baby. Like, And this is not a crier. I said, what on earth is going on with you? He goes, no, Charlie, you need to tell me. What am I supposed to go tell those people? Because he knew their story. He met those moms whose son cried themselves to sleep at night. He met the people that had walked a day to get there, to get some relief from their pain. And we were just going to casually say, I'll well, see you next time. And I said, uh, wow. It hit me for the first time what we were doing. We were just leaving people out. And I said, Paul, I don't know, maybe we'll come back next year. Maybe another team will come. I don't know what I don't know what to tell them, but that rocks my world. I came home. I said, "That's it, Lord. I am not doing that anymore." There's got to be a better way to provide health care in communities. So I met this guy named Steve Saint, and he asked me a simple question: Why do you go do dentistry? Why don't you teach them how to do it? And I thought to myself: Are you outside your mind? It took me four years how to learn how to do it. How am I going to teach somebody in six weeks? And he just left it. And the Holy Spirit went to work. And I started thinking, when I learned how to give local anesthetic, they just paired up dental students two by two and just gave it to each other. You don't need to know the molecular structure of lidocaine to give a safe local injection or the embryonic origin of dental pulp, which I don't know what that is anymore anyway. So... Uh, and then when it was time to give it, uh, I think a tooth out a student a year ahead of me taught me how to do it, really. I mean, I knew all the ins and outs of the histology of alveolar bone and all that, but you don't need to know that. So I said, huh. So I called up a missionary friend in northern Ghana where Pamela and Francis served, and I said, how about if we come and teach you guys how to do dentistry, how to extract abscess teeth? And this was 1994, uh, 2004. And he said, yeah, come. Like, really? You didn't pray about it? You didn't even check the community out? You know, do you really need this? You know, so 
we went, and I remember unpacking all these instruments, same instruments I use in my dental office. These are dangerous. This is surgery. And I'm looking at these four guys we're going to train. I said, oh, Lord, what have I got myself into? But in two days of clinical training, just teaching them which teeth they are and how to, how to take out a tooth, in six days they took out more teeth than I took out in four years of dental school. That's how much demand there was. In northern Ghana, there are, uh, one, there's one part-time dentist for three million people. So you can imagine the need is off the chart. So we did that. Went back a year later. I was so blown away at what God had done to make them such skilled surgeons. Thousands of people had come to Christ. The problem was there wasn't churches to disciple them. There's so many people had come to Christ because they had got to experience the love of Jesus through the hands of these guys that we had trained. See, here's what happens. When somebody lays down in a chair and they open their mouth and they let you put their two hands in there, they say they trust you. That is a powerful gift. And we all have it if we're healthcare workers. And it's a sacred thing. And there's something powerful that happened. It's no surprise that Jesus used health healing, physical healing, as a part of his ministry. So part of the partnership is we go, we say, hey, can we offer these skills? Would this be helpful in your community? Not to go and do, but to go and train. And so there's some measured risk in that, right? Doesn't that make you feel a little uneasy? So just so you know, we did a, a study to evaluate the surgical outcomes, and we found that the patients experienced the same surgical outcomes American dentists compared to these dental health workers. So the only problem was it took them longer to take a tooth out because they used, um, there's a screwdriver-like thing to elevate the tooth to loosen it before you put the pliers on it to pull it out. So they spent more time loosening the tooth, and it makes the taking the tooth out much easier, which is much safer. But because the procedure takes longer, you get a little bit more dry socket, uh, instance of dry socket, but that's self-limiting, and it'll heal itself eventually. But um, So we, we want to do these things that are risky, but we want to verify that they're safe still. So, um, yeah. So that's it. That's, these are just examples of partnerships. And this is where we are now. So, any questions? Mike. Yeah. Yeah. So we uh, work with Life in Abundance because they are in closed countries in East Africa. And so I'll let Florence address uh, how they connect. One last story about that, though, if you don't mind. Americans have trouble finding the local church in other countries. I'm at this conference about four years ago, and I'm walking through the exhibit hall, and I had just been to a closed country in East Africa, uh, Islamic country. So, like, there's a booth there promoting health care in this country. Like, wow, this is awesome. I had just been there two months earlier. 
So, and it's kind of an old school booth, like that showed broken arms that were fixed, and you know those old photographs we used to show wounds. Dramatic, I mean, dramatic healing. So I said to the guy, so what are you guys doing here? I've not seen you here before. Oh, we're looking for um, physicians and nurses to come work with us. Oh, that's awesome. I said, these patients that come to see you, do they hear the gospel? Oh, yeah. Every single patient hears the gospel. And I, I said, fantastic. I said, they have to be so happy with the care they receive from you guys. Oh, absolutely. We've been there 25 years doing this. I said, well... Let me ask you a question. So these people that you're witnessing to when they come to faith, how do you connect them to the local church in this close country? He looked at me and he goes, there is no church in that country. I thought, huh? I was just there. I saw several of them. Yeah, they're a little underground, but they're there and they're strong and they're vibrant and they're doing okay. And so see the disconnect? Now, when they started, there might not have been a church there 25 years ago, so that's okay. But many places that we go, the church is there. If we go with our brothers and sisters from, the, from, that, from that area, they'll help us find it. So that's one thing. And then, Florence, you want to talk about the question, which was how do you partner in unreached um, countries and how do you reach unreached people? So you can speak to that. Yeah. Okay. I'll tell you what. To answer that question, let me read this real quick. So the question was, how do we reach uh, in in closed countries? How? knowledge, uh, it's open information. Life in Abundance works in closed countries. And uh, we, we work in countries that uh, have limited access to the gospel. Um, we have gone into those countries through, through prayer. I like what Pamela said. Um, as a matter of principle, Life in Abundance takes Mondays as a day of prayer. Uh, sort of to begin to, to pray before we begin uh, the week and on most occasions it's corporate prayer by the way and on most occasions um, a lot of our staff take that day as a day of prayer and fasting and then every day of the week we have days of corporate prayer so every morning we have devotions and times of corporate praying um, I just want to say it's been amazing what we have seen God do through prayer. Um, like how we got into one of the closed countries, it was literally by God speaking to us in one of those prayer meetings on a Monday morning, uh, instructing us to go and hear him from that closed country the next day. Um, we did not have a ticket, we did not have a plan to go, um, we got complimentary tickets by the end of the day, and we ended up in that country. As we were traveling to that country, the Lord gave us the name of a person that we are supposed to go and connect with, and even the place where they were working. 
and as we cleared customs, we cleared with that address that we had been given. Uh, getting to that office, um, we are moving forward to ask if that person exists in that office, and a woman comes from the back room and says, yes, these are my guests, and invites us to, to her office. And she leans on the door, and she says, thank you for coming. My name is, and she says the name that we had been given as we were getting there is, is her name. Um, and it so happened that over the weekend the Lord had spoken to her uh, to clear a bedroom. Uh, that two women who were going to be coming to teach the underground church that she was leading uh, on how to do holistic ministry in that country and bring up the local church to a place where they will be respected and listened to um, in that country, which, I mean, they were really, really being persecuted. Um, she, as she was coming to work that morning, she met somebody who was a member of the underground church, and he was telling her, the Lord spoke to me last night, that those two women we got a prophecy about that they would be coming, that they are coming today. And she said, yes, and the Lord has instructed me to go to the office, uh, that they will come and meet me there. Um, that person said, if they come and they are talking about John 10.10, 10, that will be a sign for me that I am supposed to resign for my work and work for Life in Abundance. Well, Life in Abundance, we are not there yet. Um, but work with them and begin the work. Well, he became our first country director in that country. I think what I'm saying is um, it's only through prayer that the Lord will invite, him, invite us to what he is doing. Um, I would not talk about any wisdom that we have gone with or any other ways that we have utilized other than uh, the power of prayer and seeking God and listening and going his way and allowing him to be, to be glorified. So my counsel is there is church in, in closed countries. There, there, is, there is the church of Christ in, in the different areas that we will go. He invites us to, to go and connect with people whom he has already convicted there. Um, the, the Ethiopian eunuchs, uh, the, the Cornelius, the, those people. He has them prepared that we may link together and do that work. Um, as a Global North organization going to a limited access country, whether it be in the Middle East or it be in Northern Africa or wherever that is, um, I think it's to seek who are the church planters in, in those countries. Um, who are the non-governmental organizations that are working there? How can we partner so that together we can make a stronger team? Um, it's, it's interesting, but I'm thinking if I had a white face and I was going to this closed African country, uh, I would have very little chance of connecting with the underground church because, of course, I would be announcing myself before I even open my mouth that I am a foreigner. Uh, but we found ourselves in places like Darfur and, and one, um, yeah, covered our, our, our heads and been confused like we are northern Sudanese people. Um, so I think it's, it, takes, it takes innovation um, for us to be, to be effective. Um, he senses to be as calm as doves, 
but also as wise as serpents. I didn't want to say serpents because they don't have a very good reputation, but he senses to be wise. Um, and I think we, we, can, we can be that because we have the mind of Christ. Um, I know Charlie has a question to answer. Uh, our time is sort of running out, so I will have him answer it, then I will conclude us. Benjamin A., hello. I'm not sure who Benjamin I'm from DR Congo. I have a missionary project to be implemented nationally in my country. Is there any support we could have here? Training, funding, accommodating. Thanks and God bless you all. So, that's an easy one for me. I found my friends in DR Congo, and LIA happens to be very close to there in Burundi, Christians in Burundi, say, hey, can you reach out to this guy and connect with him and see where that goes? See, it's not on us anymore. And if we can help, then my, our friends will, you know, we'll work this out, we'll, we'll meet them, and, but it's not for us to vet out anymore. So that's a beautiful example of where we are in missions now. Because it used to be we would be inundated uh, with these requests. Now we talk to our friends in those regions and say, can you, can you get some help for these folks? So it's a beautiful thing. Thank you. So all this comes to us with the backdrop of the church in the global north and the church in the global south. Um, I don't know how many of you attended the Lausanne um, conference that was happening in August, but one of the quotations that was brought to that conference was about 60% of Christians attending church in London are non-British. They are either from... um, there with immigration or with work or, or otherwise. Uh, but 60% of Londoners going to church are not British. Um, we happen to have an office in the UK, a uh, support office for life in abundance. So I've been there back and forth. And I have been to some of the cathedrals. Um, and you find a cathedral having less than 10 people, and it's a cathedral that sits 5,000. Um, and with time, it becomes not sustainable to continue to have that cathedral. So a lot of those are either being turned to community centers or um, yeah, uh, movie theaters, or yeah, yeah, just being sold, unfortunately, uh, to, be, to be converted to mosques. Um, I know a lot of them have already become institutions. Um, we stayed in one that has been turned into apartments. And um, we, we are seeing just a drastic decline of, of the church in, in Europe. Um, it was said in a light way that a lot of the, the people who are coming as missionaries or who were being seen as missionaries are really in their 60s and their 70s. Uh, in their 80s. I I think it's the same with the church that we are seeing in Europe. There's just no youth 
um, it's mainly the, the older people. So, and older, I literally mean in their, in their 80s, um, in their 90s. And you sort of begin to wonder what is really the future of the church uh, in these areas. We have an office in, in Switzerland, and we began to talk to them about missions and connecting in missions. Um, we began to talk to different churches about going as missionaries and supporting missional movements. And they began to ask themselves, do, do we actually really understand what missions is? And out of our research, we realized they need to almost like reset their strategy. Organizations that were set to be sending organizations and were sending hundreds of missionaries per year now have less than 20 missionaries and they still have the outfit of what they were using to send a big number of missionaries. Uh, so it's almost if we are no longer sending missionaries and we are having these systems in place to send missionaries, then what should we do? And how can we redefine what missions really is? Um, I recently was involved in a visit in Phoenix, and then I went to stay with my friends who go to a church in, in Southern California. And um, we got to learn, and Jay was talking about this, uh, we got to learn about a program that they are using for discipleship, um, known as Rooted. And um, as I took a hold of it, I realized it was actually developed in Kenya um, by a church that we know and by a pastor that we know. And it's being used now in, of all places, uh, Southern California. And to our surprise, we also realized it's the same curriculum that's being used in, in a church, a mega church in Phoenix. Um, it was a wake-up call to us that in, in a very humble way, there are some tools that the Lord is allowing in the church in the global south that can be effective in the church in the global north. And, and the beauty of being connected, the beauty of going together. So looking at that backdrop of as the church and by no man. Uh, design as the church declines in, in the global north. Yesterday we talked about some of the things that are upon us um, in the U.S. And I sort of feel like the U.S. is, is my home because like this conference has formed me. Um, I've been at the Global Missions Health Conference for more than 20 years. I feel it has informed my, my practice, my theology, and who I am today. So I sort of identify so closely with the U.S. So talking about the declining numbers uh, of the church in the U.S. and seeing where Europe is and almost like feeling could that be the future as, as we struggle with um, identities and racial tensions and all the other things that are beginning to be in the church as we see uh, Christ not being upheld in institutions. And we've been seeing even for many, many years that yeah, uh, Christ is not upheld in schools. Where are we going? And how can we uh, together uh, almost like begin to re-evangelize uh, in some of the areas that are dying, uh, to weaken some of the areas within this context so that they can come up? 
I say about these needs in the global north, um, but I'm not blind to where we are in the global south. We have the numbers, yes. We have the younger generation. Africa is known as one of the younger continents because we, we have so many youth. Um, but a lot of discipleship is still needed to be done. Um, a lot of us have come to the knowledge of Christ and committed to, to salvation, but haven't dug in to know um, all those things that were being said in plenary this morning. What does love look like? What does, what does walking in the fullness of the Spirit really look like? What are some of the tools that we could benefit from? Um, so it's no wonder the Lord is saying, really, as we think of missions now, it's, it's time for partnerships. It's, it's time for us to go together. Almost my children, open your eyes and see where I am doing what I am doing and join me in that so that together uh, you can bring my glory. And so with that, I just want to retaliate what I said yesterday. I do believe very strongly it is time for partnerships. It is time for us to reevaluate our strategies and align with what God is doing. Um, it is time for us to think of what has the Lord called me to and how do I position myself? How do I allow myself to be cross-pollinated by others who are doing similar things so that we can, we can be better together?